You know, growing up in a, a military home, I had the, the privilege uh, to be able to travel the world. And, uh, and one of the things that, uh, that's, that's always kind of interesting um, when you do that is that you get to see a lot of different things. But as, as you know, an eight, nine, ten-year-old kid, you didn't really get to appreciate kind of the, the, the surroundings you had. We were posted for about three years in Germany and in, in that surrounded by Europe, not being able to, to, to really appreciate kind of the history that we're, we take school trips in different areas of Europe and, and see those things. Um, but as a kid, you know, grade eight, or sorry, as an eight-year-old, you spend more time, more concerned as school would end when the next street hockey game was going to be with our friends. But one of the really cool things, you know, in that was right where we lived, we were about 10 feet away from the Black Forest. Yeah, the, the same forest that's, uh, that's named after dessert, the Black Forest Cake. But maybe you don't know this, but the Black Forest runs hundreds of kilometers across the western part of Europe, right on the border of France. It's one of these things that, like, it spans almost seeming forever. It's dense. It's dark. It would be easy to get lost in this space. And so as an adventurous kid with our friends, we would go and play in the Black Forest. And though we knew that we would want to push the limits a little bit, we were also very self-aware of the fact of where we were playing. And so we would always know that we'd only go as far as we could that would be able to get back home. And so that we had major adventures and being able to see these things and finding new things and, and, and finding these bunkers and finding these different, um, different areas and caverns and things like that. It was one of the most adventurous and amazing experiences as a kid. But like I said, you would, you'd always have another sense of how to get home. But this one time I was walking with my dad and we were walking through and we had gone farther than I had ever gone before. I wasn't too worried about that because I was with my dad, but as the sun was setting and was starting to get dark, all of a sudden we got a little bit of turned around and weren't 100% sure where we were. You know, and if I were in this situation as an eight-year-old kid by myself, I would have been losing my mind at this point. You know, I'd be thinking about, like, this is it. This is where I'm going to live for the rest of my life. I'm going to have to figure out how to, how to supply for myself, how to kill some animals, make, make like a structure, like this is it. I'm never going to see my friends and family again. Like that's where my mind would have went as a young child. But because I was with my father, you know, he just reminded me, said, well, the sun is setting over here, so east is over there, west is over there. If we head this direction, we'll be able to get home. Now, I don't know to this day if my dad actually knew that in that confidence, but because I was with my dad, I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried because of who I was with and how he was leading us. And of course, to this day, you know, you can imagine, obviously we made it out because I'm here and as an adult. But just think about the trust kids give to their parents. You know, I'm thinking about this with my, my own kids. I have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 2-year-old. Life's busy in our house. But every one of them doesn't think too existentially about how does it all work. They just trust that the food, the clothes, the, the roof over their heads is just going to be supplied. You know, or just think about as simple as this. Every single time my kids get into the vehicle with me, they're putting their lives 
in my hands. That we, when we get in the car, where we're going to go, we're going to make it to our destination safely. Or as I think about every one of my kids, as you go, you know, maybe it's, they're in a high, standing in a high wall, or maybe you're in swimming and they're in the diving board, and you say, jump, I'll catch you. It's amazing how kids trust their parents just intuitively. You know, I could imagine the hopelessness one would feel if they, got, if they genuinely got lost in the black forest. I mean, again, hundreds of kilometers of deep, dark, dense woods. So it's thick, it's dark, and it goes on forever. And I wonder if many of us have the same feeling when we venture through life. That for us, for, for many of us, that it feels like that we're lost in the black forest. Our minds start to race and we think of all the worst case scenarios. You know, it's interesting that when we're in these situations that our human nature goes to the worst places instead of the best places, that we start, you know, our, our minds start to worry and they start to ramp out all of these scenarios, but they're usually the most ridiculous worst case scenarios. But to that point, it's interesting to go, imagine yourself, imagine life being like we're walking through this dark, dense forest. What that would be like, and life feels like that. But can I encourage you? You're not walking through this forest alone. Similar to like me in the, in the black forest with my father, I wasn't worried. I didn't have to think about the details. I didn't have to go through all of the worst case or best case scenarios because I had a trust in my father that he would get us home. And unlike my father who was relying on his military training and gut instinct, our heavenly father knows every inch of the forest and every step of the way to get there. This is amazing verse in Deuteronomy 31.8 says that the Lord God goes before us and goes with us. You don't have to be afraid nor discouraged. So there's this trust into this or that. So we don't need to fear because we don't head into the unknown of the valleys and forests of our lives. But we are being led by the good shepherd. Let me remind you, let's, let's look at Psalm 23 again. I know we just recited it. But I want to read it again and I want you to, to listen to the words slowly. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valleys, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. It's interesting in this a couple things. First, it's... It, it's it's a subject of this. The Lord, the Lord is my 
shepherd, my good shepherd, I have what I need. He lies me down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and renews my life. He leads me along, what, the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valleys, even when I go through the darkest valleys, I fear no evil. Why is that? Because of who we're with. But notice what's interesting here. Notice the author doesn't say, if we walk through valleys, but when we walk through valleys, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. See, there's almost a certainty in our life that we will walk through the valleys. It's a certainty. It's not a question if it will happen, but it's a certainty. And so the question rises into this is what do we do when we walk through the valleys? See, there's almost a certainty of this, but we also have the promise that the good shepherd is leading us. And so in that, life rarely is walked in a straight line. When we see these things, it's rarely this thing that we go from A to B. And it's not without its bumps and its detours and its dead ends, but we have the assurance that we have a good shepherd who helps us navigate the winding paths of life. And the funny thing is that the very valleys we face can also be the very things that can shape us into the person who can face those valleys. Again, look what it says in this. Only goodness and faithfulness will pursue me. He will lead us. But thinking about this idea that the valleys are a certainty, look at what the author of James has to say on the topic. This is interesting. He says in James 1 verse 2, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. What a counterintuitive idea. It almost seems ridiculous to say this. Consider it great joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Makes you wonder what the author was thinking when he wrote this. Is he out of his mind? Why would anybody in their right mind consider it great joy when they face trials? Isn't this something we don't want to go through? Why would you consider it great joy the translation NIV puts it like this, consider it pure joy, pure joy. Well, the answer is right after this. He says, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know, because, and here's the kicker, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking Nothing. So the author of James is saying here is that we can consider it great joy, pure joy, whenever we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that it may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. 
we go through the valleys, we can consider in pure joy because we know that the very act of going through those things can grow us into the person to face those trials. Or maybe put it like this. I had a colleague of mine, a friend, he put it, said like this, the very prayer that we are praying for, the very answer to the prayer that we're praying for is sometimes God growing us into the person who can answer that prayer. Now think about that. So let me say it again. The very answer to the prayer that you may have in your life could be God growing you into the person who can answer that prayer. That sometimes the answer to our prayer is outside of us, something coming, it could be another person, it can be a relinquishing of the circumstances, but sometimes the answer to our prayer is that we are in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the trial, and God uses that to grow us into the person to be able to answer, carry, and move out of that trial stronger and growing. See, sometimes, sometimes the good shepherd does his best work in the midst of the valleys. So because of that, because of that, we don't need to always, we don't need to avoid the valleys. We don't need to find the shortcuts. We don't need to go around those things because when the good shepherd leads us into the valleys, he has a reason for it. And, and that, that, is, that is what is important in that. When the good shepherd leads us. See, it isn't that we go seeking out for trouble or that we look for the valleys, we find the trials, No. Not like if you were here when Pastor Neil showed the video of the, of the sheep and he gets rescued from the shepherd out of that hole and then he runs down and jumps right back into it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying go look for trouble, go get yourself into troubles. No, no, no. But when the good shepherd is leading us, we can be assured in it. And this is what's important because the Lord is my shepherd, I have not any need. See, when we are following the shepherd as a sheep, we know the sheep's voice. Jesus says, my sheep know me and they know my voice. And so if we're wondering why am I going through this, what is happening here, should I be having this, we need to be developing into a discipline to be able to hear the good shepherd's voice so that when we know that he's leading us that we can be assured that this situation has a purpose because it's knowing the difference between a purpose of growth and a burden that we're not supposed to carry. But it's through that discernment process that we can figure this out. You know, this all sounds great intellectually, knowing that God is leading us through and there's a purpose into the valleys. And it's easy to know this when we're being led out of the dark forest and the trials and valleys are behind us. But what about the times when we're still in the midst of the valleys? See, when you're in the midst of a dense forest, you don't know how far you're in or out of it. Or think about it like this. When you're in, um, you know, sailors, when they're in the midst of a raging storm, the only thing they can do is they can continue to look at their instruments and move forward because there's no stars, there's no sun, there's the clouds, it's raining, the raging seas, and all they can do is head into the direction of their instruments and say until they see land. And they don't know how far along it is until they see that land. And all they can do is trust their instruments. And in the same way, when we're in the midst of the valleys, all we can do is trust the good shepherd. 
And so how do we know what to do in the midst of the valleys? Well, the psalmist gives the answer in the last verse in this, and this is what we're going to spend our time in. Verse 6. So here's the answer. What do you do? It's great when you're out of the valleys. What do you do when you're in the midst of the valleys? Anchored to this promise. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. See, the goodness of God can be found in the valleys, and this is the promise that God gives us. So how does this work? Well, let's break down the verse. There are two main things being said here in the first part of the verse and the second. So the first part is this. We can trust the goodness of God in the midst of the valleys because of who he is. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. See, we can trust him and his goodness in whatever situation because he is the good shepherd. See, when we have an abiding relationship with Jesus, when we know his voice as the good shepherd, when we are developing that, no matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on, this doesn't change who God is. The author James says again, too, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And he does not shift like, sorry, does not change like the shifting shadows. He isn't one thing one day and the other thing the other. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is today the same yesterday, today, and forever. So no matter what you face or what you're facing today or what you may face, no matter the circumstances of the raging storm, no matter what you are facing in the valleys, you can be assured by the goodness of God because God's goodness is eternal and cannot be shaken. So we can look to these things, we can look to who the good shepherd is. No matter what we're facing, we can recognize who is the one who is leading us and his good character and we can be assured in the midst of that valley and hope for what's happening where he's leading us. We can trust him ultimately too because he relentlessly pursues us. Let me read it again. Only goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all the days of my life. See, in his character, his goodness and his faithful love pursues us even in the darkest moments. You know, I was um, chatting with Pastor Chris, our youth pastor, on this very thing, we were, we we're preparing for this message as he's preaching right now at Southwest. And we are so appreciative of the fact that this, the, the CSB uses the word pursue. Other translations uses will follow me all the days of my life. <clears throat> now grammatically this works, and I'm not trying to have a, a debate with, you know, biblical scholars and the words that we pick. But if you look at the root of this word, there is this tenacity to it, this pursuit. See, in the English language, follow kind of gives this connotation that as we're walking through the valleys, God is a few steps behind following us. He's in the shadows. He's a little bit unseen, and he's kind of following, trailing behind. Almost gives this connotation where the word of this relentless pursuit is that God is coming after us that he's pursuing us, that his goodness and his faithful love will find us. And even if we are running away from him, he pursues after us. Think about like this imagery. I guess I mentioned we've got a busy household and even my older kids love being chased 
but especially my younger ones, in the house or in the thing you're chasing, and they know that if daddy's going to catch them, they're going to get tickled. And so there's laughter, and there's giggling, and there's running, and there's moving from thing, and closing doors, and all of these things. But I'm chasing them, and chasing after them. And it's this joyous experience because of who they know and what's going to happen when they're caught. What about the flip? If you've ever had little kids in a playground that's near a busy road, you know that you're on high alert the entire time. And it's funny with little kids. I almost think it's a bit conniving of them. They're there playing and they're, everything is great and the birds are chirping and the sun is out and all of a sudden your little toddler looks at you and this twinkle in their eye and this little conniving smirk. They know exactly what they're about to do and they get up and they start booking towards traffic. Now, you as a parent don't just sit back and go, eh, let's see what happens. I wonder how that game Frogger is going to work with my kid in traffic. No, you as a parent, already in high alert, jump up and you start running. Like, you don't realize that you're thinking, like, I'm not fit, I'm not ready for a marathon, but man, that adrenaline goes and it doesn't matter and you're after that kid. All to the point that they might reach to the inch of the road that you would go out and grab the scruff of the shirt and pull them back. That as us, as sheep, who might be running towards destruction and turmoil, that God's goodness and faithful love pursues us, this relentless cosmic rescue mission. So we can trust his goodness in the midst of the valley because this is the good shepherd. He will leave and will put in his own, at the risk of his own safety and life, literally dying on the cross to pursue us. That is the character. And so though we may be in the midst of the darkest moments of valleys, but we can trust his goodness and faithful love. Why? Because of who he is. But let me challenge you with a different thought for a second. We like that idea because even in the midst, maybe he'll rescue us. Maybe Jesus, in the midst of the calmness, will calm the storm or whatever it might be. That gives us comfort. But maybe, maybe think about this. Sometimes, sometimes, that goodness and faithful love means he needs to lead us into and through the dark valleys. Maybe in his goodness and faithful love, he knows you need to go through that trial. You need to go through that valley. Because it's in there, in that place, and what's on the other end, that he can grow you into the person who lacks nothing. And so if he's leading you into a season like that, to lean into that relationship, lean into that abiding relationship, dwell into his presence, which leads us to the next thing. See, what is comforting is that God's ultimate plan is that we don't stay in the valleys forever. See, point two, we can trust the goodness of God, not just because of who he is, but because of where he is leading us. So only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. 
You know, it's interesting to think about this word dwell and in his house. You know, in a modern sense, we get this because we all dwell in a home, right? This is our home, we dwell. But there's this deeper root, you know, with the author, the psalmist here, had this imagery of these two things, of the, the palace of a king and the temple with the priests. And both of these imageries herald back all the way to Genesis. Because even in the midst of the palace, you know, they had a garden, and in the temple they had the holy of holies, the place between heaven and earth. And both of these imageries go right back to Genesis with the Garden of Eden. See, Eden, Eden was this place, but then the Garden of Eden, what some scholars say, sat on the highest point of a mountain, closest to heaven and earth. And in this garden, Adam and Eve had a perfect dwelling with God. So this house, this palace, this temple is where we would dwell. But there's this deeper thing. See, we could look at the constructs, we could think about it intellectually, but this dwelling almost has a rest or abiding presence. See, Adam and Eve, that they had this perfect relationship and abiding in that, and the whole human experience is coming back to this idea. And so we can image it, but it's almost, if you were to put an emotion to it or some type of physical reaction, it would look something like this. to dwell. Think about the story of Martha and Mary. And Martha is busy and trying to do all these things and, and Mary is sitting and dwelling and resting and abiding with Jesus. And Martha says, Jesus, like, tell Mary to get up and help me. And Jesus says, no, she's picked the better thing. Well, how does this work in the midst of the valley? Well, Jesus himself, who's with the disciples and they're going across the lake and a raging storm comes and the boats and the disciples are freaking out because they think the boat's going to capsize. Where's Jesus? Dwelling, resting, asleep in the bow of the boat. And they wake him up. How can you be sleeping at a time like this? Because he ultimately understood the concept of this idea of dwelling, resting in his heavenly Father in the home, even in the midst of the storm. And we have this same promise for us that we can dwell in the house. We can dwell with the good shepherd, with our heavenly father, no matter the circumstances. Now this takes, this takes practice. This is why we talk about the gather, grow, give, and go. Because it takes practice to tune in to hear the voice. It takes practice to learn to grow. It takes practice to be able to abide and experience this, that no matter what is raging around us, that we can have this supernatural dwelling that nothing, no circumstances, nothing in the world can take from us because we are secure in belonging, secure by the blood of Christ, secure in the gospel, in this dwelling and nothing can take that away. He says, all as long as I live, both here and for eternity. We are secured in this because of what Jesus done, because of what the good shepherd has done. See, we can rest and dwell and abide in the valley because of this and we can have confidence and hope in the good shepherds leading us because ultimately we're not supposed to live in the valley but to be brought home. 
You know, as I thought about the idea of dwelling in homes, I couldn't help but think about the idea of family. You know, I just said gather, grow, give, and go. But there's another word that's really important to this, that we gather, grow, give, and go together. And in our practices, we talk about this idea that gather together, we gather as a family together, both in big gatherings and small gatherings, in weekend expressions on a campus as we raise up and worship and experience the supernatural God and gather in community in groups to be able to walk this out together and support and learning these principles to be able to gather, grow, give, and go. See, as a church, we believe that the most holistic way to walk out the practices is in community together, in a group together. If you are thinking to yourself that I want this in my life, but I continue and you're venturing and doing this alone, can I challenge you to stop? The first thing that was wrong in all the creation order was when God creates Adam and he sees it alone, and he said, this is not good. And that same human desire, we were never meant to walk this alone. But as we dwell with the good shepherd, with Jesus, that Jesus is the body, we are the body of Jesus, that we are supposed to be the expression of this, that Jesus dwells in us. We talk about this idea of the palace and the temple, that the Bible says we are now the temple, that Jesus now, the word is tabernacled, to dwell in us, but is most best expressed in community. You know, Family, family is a funny word. Family is a funny thing because this word has a lot of baggage attached to it. For some people, you have good memories when you think about the word family and for many others, there's negative connotations. You know, what's interesting for me is that I grew up in a broken home, single mom. I had, I was dark, depressed, you know, like destructive kid who was angry at the world. But if it wasn't for the community, the small little country church that came along us as a family, I know for a matter of fact it would not be here on the stage right now. More likely I would be in jail. And so God, Jesus as the good shepherd, most expressed family and redeem this concept for me through this small church of community believers who live this out and this became the wider expression. And so if you are in this too and you're looking at that, we want to help redeem this word that God, Father God, brings his children together and we as the church are the family that comes together. So the best way to express this is regular weekend gatherings. We can come and celebrate and make much of God and Jesus in the big gatherings and also to be part of a community. And let me say this. I'm not saying this is easy. I know that this takes work. I've lived through it. And every time, every transition, every time something shifts, it takes work. But I think my, a friend of mine put it best. Anything meaningful in life takes work, and you need to go through the awkward to get to the meaningful. So what that means is, if you know you want this in your life, you know you need this in your life, 
It means you need to do the effort. You need to take the first step. You need to say, I want that. I'm going to self-identify. You need to meet people. You need to get into a group. You need to learn people and be vulnerable. You need to go through the awkward to do the work to get to the meaningful. There is no microwaving this process of life. To be able to be in community and dwell in this thing, to be able to experience all these things, we do this together, but we need to go through the awkward to get to the meaningful. But before any of that, before any of that, there's one question that still remains. Are you willing to trust the good shepherd to lead you into, through, and out of the valleys of life and know you're ultimately secure in him in this life and for all eternity? Do you trust the good shepherd that he has a plan and path for you? Do you trust that maybe right now something is bubbling up to say, I need to take a next step to be able to do this? Do you trust the good shepherd in his goodness and faithful love in your life. So before we close the service, we're going we're gonna to sing this. We're going to sing about the Good Shepherd's goodness. We're going to sing about God's goodness. So I want to challenge us as we do this, to allow this to be a declaration of you need to say, yes, I believe this, or you need to receive this, or you need to be this to be a prayer for you to allow that to be. And so be the posture that you need to do. For some of you, you're going to stand and you're going to declare it. For others, you're going to sit and you're going to receive it. Whatever that is for you, let Jesus speak to you and minister to you. And after we sing this, we're going to close the service. So let's worship together. If you want to stand, stand. If you want to stay seated, stay seated. But let's worship together.
know, as a teaching team, um, we take the time to think through and as we're forming these things and as we were chatting, uh, Pastor Neil um, shared this observation. It's almost like there's this sequence of things being built upon in Psalm 23. The first is that we are sheep that learn to hear the voice of the good shepherd. Next is we see that we are honored guests invited to a banquet feast with a great host. And finally, ending that we dwell in the house with a good, good father. You know, maybe for some of you, it's simply this, that you need to get back into a season as a sheep, learning to hear the voice of the good shepherd so you know where he's leading, you know where he is in the situations. Maybe for others, it's simply that you need to remember and be reminded of the identity that you are an honored guest with banquet clothes, being invited to a feast with a good host. And for some of you, it might be that yearning desire to dwell in the house of the Lord with his family. Whatever that is, whatever that is, don't allow yourself to walk out of this room and go back into the same routine of life that you always have done. Take a step. And we want to be able to walk that with you. You don't need to do this alone, that we do life together as the family of God. You know, if you're online right now and you've been tuning in, you're going, I need to take the step, but I don't know where to start. I don't have those connections. Simply head to Beulah.family, click the connect with us button, fill out that form, and we'd love to reach out. Or better yet, reach out to one of the hosts online and they can help you. If you're in the room right now, simply head to the Welcome Center. Maybe, maybe you've got to go somewhere right after this and you have a crunch time. Simply come to the Welcome Center. Fill out a Connect card to say, I'm looking for my next step. You're not too sure what that is. Or maybe right now you are actually in community with others and there's somebody that you know that isn't to reach out to them and invite them in to your community group so that you can walk together. And lastly, maybe you've been here t today and God has been striking you and you need to be ministered to. But if you're online, reach out to the host to pray for you or if you're in the room that we have a prayer team ready to pray with you at the front to come and be ministered and prayed for. But to know that God has a purpose for you. The good shepherd is leading and we do this together. But let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a good, good father, that ultimately you're leading us to be indwelling with you in this security for all of eternity. You sent your good shepherd and he is leading us and he is building his church. Lead us into whatever that next path was. Help us have the courage to go through the awkward to get to the meaningful and show us that your presence is with you. And we pray this in confidence in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next weekend.